Welcome to episode 20 of Shanlin on Batman. I am Justin Shanlin. I want to just take a quick little uh, brief moment to thank everyone for listening to the last two episodes. It's been the most listened to um, on SoundCloud, and now we're on iTunes. And we just, I just want to take a, a brief moment to thank everyone for for letting us come into your home or you know on your phone or in your car and letting in your us pants, <laughs> letting letting us, uh, you know do that for you it's it's been a a great honor it's been something that's you know from the bottom of my heart i am very thankful and there's two people i really want to take a you know brief second and you know talk about um at thinker it's it's at think thinkerton let me let me just double check here okay it's think thinker thinkerton at thinker 365 has been with the show since the beginning and then at Lindsay steel another amazing amazing uh fan they, they've you know taken time out of their day to retweet us to say hey come follow these guys they're doing a good job if it's not for you guys we we wouldn't even want obviously we would still want to do it but we would just be talking to each other you know without recording so we really just want to thank you guys thank those two people for you know really really you know standing up and saying hey th- there's another batman podcast that's that's really good so from the bottom of my heart, from everyone on Channeling Up Batman, thank you. Thank you for our loyal fans. Yes, thank you. Yep, and as uh, as we progress with our podcast and stuff, we definitely want to cater more to our fans. So if there's ever anything that you have a comment or a concern or want to talk about, drop us a line on Twitter. We'll probably retweet it. We're definitely going to answer any questions you have. Take care of any concerns you have. We'll set up a quick interview with you if you want to be heard on our podcast. I mean, if you got something interesting to say, we're definitely willing to hear it. So, like Justin said, just thank you, everybody, for all the support you've given us so far, and we hope to have a lot bigger and better things coming to you in 2015. Thank you. Kyle, anything to say? Thank you so much, and continue to follow us. Yeah, follow us at Twitter, uh, at what is it at Shanley uh, at Shanley and I'm Bat? Yep, and check then, us out on Facebook. Right. And then um, let me just I'm gonna shout it out one more time. Thinker Thinkerton at Thinker365, and then at Lindsey Steele. Um, like I said, thank you guys. Hey, go follow those guys. They're pretty smart, man. They they have some cool shit to say. But uh, definitely get ready to check out episode 20 with our special guest, Son of Arrogance. Thanks a lot, guys. Episode 20 of Shailen on Batman. Tonight we have a very, very special guest. Someone I've been trying to get on the show for a long time, and finally our schedule's meshed up. Mr. Son of Arrogance himself, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only guy who made... Well, I, I won't say who he made uh, 
Kind of is... like Kim Kardashian's ass broke the internet. Like <laughs> that script that he that he had was so hot. It was so hot. Um, well, we're waiting on Kyle Davis, Mr. Mr. Toodles, Mr. Incredible <laughs> Mr. himself. Mr. Incredible, yeah. Apparently um, he likes to speed. And the second least likely person to get pulled over in the three group uh, is pulled over right now and late. So welcome to the show, Mr. Son of Arrogance. His, his real name's Jay. I don't know. Can we, can we reveal your last name? Because I feel like that's pretty uh, important. It's a pretty, uh, my last name, if you revealed it, it might get me into a little bit of trouble. Okay, okay. Certain people online, because mm-hmm. since I wrote that script, I'm a little bit of a target. Certain people got pissed off, you know? Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Jay it is, my friend. Yeah. So, so be, let's, let's just jump right into it. Um, Where are you from? I'm from uh, Dublin, in Ireland, yes. I moved over to New York about almost a decade ago. Awesome. Uh, so. where And where did you attend school? Now, did you graduate... Like, I don't know how the school is over there. Did you come over and start going to the American, like the New York schools, or? I know, I, was, uh, I graduated, uh, and then I came over here. So, right on. I, I pretty much, I was like, uh, uh, I, I immigrated, basically. So, there was uh, all my kind of high school and schooling was all done in Ireland. Awesome, wow. awesome. Okay, did you attend any American colleges while you were over here, or? No, I would have loved it for the for the experience, but I didn't get the chance. I've been to a few college parties while I've been here, but no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's let's take a let's take a little journey back in time. Where where was your first uh, impression? Where where did you first pick up a Batman comic book, or where did you where did you first see the Cape Crusader? Was it on television? Was it in the Batman eighty nine movie? Did you pick up yeah. the animated series? Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, my first uh, distinct memory of Batman is uh, what I lived in as a as a like a kid, like like about from age about one till uh, four. I lived in England with my family. My family had a uh, lived in England for a while. We moved back to Ireland uh, sometime after my uh, brother my my brother turned, I think, he was three years old, and I we went to move, live with my grandparents. And my cousins lived there previously with me. And the first thing I saw, and I remember as a four-year-old boy, is that I had a, a hardback book with Batman on the cover. And I remember just looking at it and thinking, like, not knowing what it was, not even knowing what a bat was at the time, but I just thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And I kept getting, like, I used to bug the hell out of my cousins to draw me Batman over and over again. So afterwards, I would start drawing Batman myself in school. When I was the kids drawn up from his crime. So that was where I first started being aware of Batman. That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Now, after that, were there any like seminal comic books or anything like, like obviously for us, like for myself and you know the rest of the members of the podcast, Batman eighty nine was pretty much our first exposure to the character. Was it the same for you, or was it a comic book that really got you to fall in love? Was it the Dark Knight Returns? This is a funny story. Like a lot of people have the Dark Knight Returns, and they'll always reference all the the big major storylines. The first Batman comic book I remember getting from the store myself was a Batman comic book about he was fighting vampires, and it's probably it's probably a reprint from the seventies, but it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen because it was just the artwork was great. So then from that I started reading more and more Batman. And, getting into Joker stories and stuff like that. And then when the film came out, I remember it was crazy when the film came out. I remember I was only a little kid, but I could remember the line for the movie theater all the way down the block. 
and the big Batman symbol ever. Because in Dublin, we didn't have a lot of movie theaters. So the ones that were showing it were packed every night, you know? That's awesome. Now, let's let's talk about that, that 1989 film. What does that mean to you as a fan of the character of Batman? Is that, is, is that a seminal moment in your life to say, wow, this is... This is a whole nother experience like it was for all of us at the podcast, or is it just another just you, you just knew that the Batman was just going to be a part of your life forever? I, I, when I saw the movie, I remember I saw it in the theater and I remember being so excited going to see it because I was only a kid and I didn't see it when all my friends had seen it in school. They'd all seen it before me. And then when I went to see it, I just remember being in the theater with me and my brother and we just, I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And like, in hindsight, looking back, there's like not a lot of Batman in it if you compare it to the other movies. But every time, every time he was on screen, it was just crazy. I remember the, the symbol, the suit, and a lot of the, a lot of things like his, his fight with the Joker at the very end. I remember that left a real big impression on me. The, up the, uh, the, the cathedral scene is definitely yeah. a huge thing for me too. Yeah, it's just like it was just like the first time I'd ever, and I, it is, it's going to sound like a kind of little crazy. The first time I'd ever seen a good guy and a bad guy go up against each other when I knew what it's like. Oh, was bad guy, Batman was good guy, and that's how it worked. You know what I mean? The bad guy had to beat the good, the, the good guy had to beat the bad guy, and so that was really important to me. And I remember uh, when it came out in uh, VHS, I remember my dad rented it. I was going home, and I must have watched that movie over like. 10 times in a row over a weekend, just like absorbing every little bit that was Batman because he was just, it was just the coolest thing I'd seen up at that point, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, we can't talk about that Tim Burton um, movie enough. We, we did a commentary for it. Now, after the 89 movie gets over, or did you pay attention to the rest of the films? Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and yeah, Robin? I've, I've seen every Batman movie in the theater. So like it's like um, I remember when I went to see Batman Returns and me and my me and my brother we, the first time we went to see a movie kind of like my dad let us in the theater on our own usually he would stay in the theater with us and watch it and he decided to let us go and I remember I remember just like there was a scene where Batman the the wings come out of the back of his uh, cape and just thinking that was one of the coolest images I've ever seen because like he was flying and I didn't that was the first time I ever seen Batman fly. I think that was gliding, but it just seemed like he was more. It was the first I've ever seen something that I seen in the comics actually on screen. Yeah, that monolithic character, and look who it is, Kyle Davis. Finally, did oh, you get a ticket, Mr. Speed no, Racer? I just snuck in here today. You snuck yeah. in here yeah. like the Dark Knight himself. So I am the Dark Knight. Pulled you over. You were just like, hey man, I fucking paid. I was like, hey man, I need to go. I need to go talk about Batman, <laughs> and he goes all good to bed. So. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm holding up Batman shit. Um, so pretty much what you missed is. Jay's awesome. He's from Dublin. He likes Batman. You're filled in. Awesome. <laughs> I think he may be more of a Batman fan than we are because he's seen every single movie in the theaters. We're not worthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So now, after the the movies, did did the animated series play a huge role in in your life? Because for for me, like that's where I really got to learn the ins of the out of the character because obviously the, the 89 and Batman returns and you know forever and Robin have its place in history but just the way that those those that series was, has you know kind of st stuck with with myself and with us since 92 it's just it's like if you look at the new comics the new 52 it's it's because of that series now is that the same yeah. with you well to tell you the, the best thing about the Batman animated series and I say it to everybody, the Batman animated series is timeless. No matter when yep. you watch it, 
nothing in it dates really because the the way they present the world and that it's a mishmash of all different time periods. It's kind of like the nineteen forties, but then it's like the 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 nineties when it was made. It was like it's very like the movies. You know what I mean? Everyone's wearing fedoras. There were gangsters, but it was high tech at the same time. So it's one of those things that no matter when you watch it, it never feels old. Yeah, I agree. And every single character in that. It just it gelled in a way that maybe in the other mediums like the film medium, it, some things with Batman don't really translate. But in in the the cartoon, everything translated really well from the Joker, from Robin. You know, everything worked. And I, it was one of those things. I remember the Man Bat episode. I think it was the first episode I did. Yeah, I'm Mother that. Wings. Yeah, and I remember seeing that, and I remember just thinking, oh, this is just cool because it had it had Batman like. Just going up against something that, like, going back to the first Batman comics I ever read. So I guess it was a parallel, just like it was just, it clicked with me. And I remember just going home after school and then one of the first things I would watch. So I just it was amazing. Yeah. Um, so I got a couple questions here for you. I think we're going to backtrack first. Um, so being over in Dublin and everything, was your, was the availability of like getting to your comics and your Batman stuff, was it relatively easy? You know, we're over here in the States, so I'm not sure. Uh, well, in, um, well, growing up for me, like, it's like, it was hard to get any sort of American comic books at first because like we didn't have a lot of comic book stores. Right. Like we could get the reprint of the old stuff, but getting to the real, like, you know, uh, like, Weekly or bi like the fu- yeah, the actual current issues of what was going on yeah. for stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I didn't. So all my my pretty much the comic books I had when I was buying them as a kid were all reprints of really all the Batman stories. That's okay. why I kind of, which is a good thing because like you got was, the origin, you got like everything. Yeah. Yeah, my knowledge of that was like the knowledge of the original Batman. I it just it gave me more of a, a knowledge of the character and how he grew. So when I got to, to the age where I was reading like The Dark Knight Returns and stuff like that, I already had, I already knew the character so well that when I read The Dark Knight Returns, my perspective on him was like, I really did see it. You understood it, you know, a yeah. Lot of people, yeah, a lot of people like that. And then when I got older, there was, I found there was actually like real comic book shops in the city. And I went there and I could get my hands on more uh, recent stuff. So, you know. Okay. And I stuck with it. Batman has been one of the comic books that I've always stuck with, you know. That's awesome. So uh, that's going to lead into this question. I think it's going to be interesting. Seems how you've uh, read everything from the beginning, but uh, like when you uh, like, what's your Batman? When you think of Batman to like yourself personally, what kind of what like what version of Batman do you see? Uh, the version of Batman I see is uh, the kind of like the, the one that the image, the visual image that sticks in my head really is actually uh, the the O'Neill version of Batman. That era, uh, whereas like the, the, he was more about the blue, the blue cape, and like I know the, the color scheme is supposed to be black, the blue cape, the yellow, the, the black and yellow Batman symbol, the gray suit, that type of visual is what I'll always see Batman in my head. And like its actual character of Batman, which is funny, actually comes more so from the animated series because that's where I, I kind of like because Kevin Conroy did such a good job that I always hear his voice when I'm reading a Batman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is for me as well. It's when I'm reading, you know, some Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. It's it's Kevin, Kevin Conroy's, Conroy's voice, voice yep. 
with Mark Hamill's um, great, yeah, great Matt, voice the of the Joker. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like definitive Joker voice. Like, you know, I love the other iterations of Joker, the other versions of Joker, but like with Mark Hamill's Joker voice, just was, it, it got the right balance of creepy and funny, which is a very hard thing to do, and Mark Hamill got it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, and uh, that's, so as far as character goes, will be the animated Batman, the character, but the visual is always going to be the late 70s, early 80s Batman. It's just always going to be the one in my head where the belt had the little capsules on it, was just straight yellow. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's the Batman I see in my head when I'm thinking of Batman. That's cool. I think uh, Mr. Speed Racer here has... Mr. Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, uh, let's jump forward a little bit and talk about Christopher Nolan's Batman for a bit. Like, in your opinion, what... What do you really think about Christopher Nolan's trilogy? Like, what did he do right? What did he do wrong? And maybe I, even after that, what would you like to see in the upcoming universe? Well, I'll give you my honest opinion of the... Of, and I love the Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan Dark movies, but I'm going to give you my honest opinion that it's probably one of the least faithful adaptations of Batman. And not that I'm bashing it for that, because it's a realistic take on Batman. I'm looking at his own version of Batman. But it's not the Batman in the comic books. And that helped it and hindered it for me. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. The Batman Begins is the, is the Batman comic book movie. That's what Batman Begins is. The Dark Knight is just a crime movie with Batman in it. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Knight Rises is a war movie with Batman mm-hmm. in it. You know, it's, they, it's stepped away from the character a little bit in the latter two movies. I mean, I- when it... When it when it worked, it really worked. Like the world it presents, it presents a really big world where I can see. But at the same time, that takes away a little from the character, you know? If you make it too realistic, because then you start questioning the character. And that can, that can be a, a big obstacle in a, in a film about a character like that, you know? Yeah, I can see that. So when it comes to The Dark Knight Rises, would you say that when... For me, when he when he gives it up, the cape and the cowl up for eight years, that just to me does not, you know, speak of Batman at all. That's kind of the opposite of the point. Would you agree yeah. with that? I agree with that from a comic book standpoint. I agree from the character book well, to to accept that aspect of that story. But this, and that story at the same time, if you're you're hard, like like we are, we're hardcore Batman fans, and we kind of know how Batman would react. And it does kind of, in my head, I'm like, well, there's lots of crime you'd have to go after. Why wouldn't you go after? Why would you just leave the city? But in the context of the movies, it makes sense. In the context of the movie, it makes sense. But then again, not sense in a Batman. It's a movie way, but not a Batman way. And that's why I can, when people complain about it, I understand completely where they're coming from. You know? Right. Because... It takes away, like, he stopped. Because if you look at his time frames, he was only Batman for, like, six months. That kind of, like, and, and I'm not backing the Dark Knight Rises. I'm really not. But I'm just saying, if you look at it, he was Batman for six months. Right, he really Batman was. Batman existed in that universe for six months. And then when he came back, he was Batman for a couple of days and then retired. You know? <laughs> he faced his death and was gone. You know? So that's not... Batman from the comic books, and I think that's even though I like the movie, that's honestly, that's, I can understand completely why people would hate that aspect of Batman in film. 
I, I'm going to agree with you 100% of that. It, it's kind of bizarre that he really was only Batman for a f couple months. I, I mean, obviously he trained for seven years, but when he actually, from the moment, from the time that he put the cape and the cowl on in Batman Begins to, you know, the end scene in The Dark Knight, he really was only Batman for just a few months. It was, instead of it being like, Batman Year One is more like Batman six months in. <laughs> like it, it's uh, it is a little bizarre. It's crazy when you look at it that way because it like breaks down Batman's career all into fixing the fucking <laughs> autopilot. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's like that's the thing. It's like Batman, the Batman of that Christopher Nolan universe was a very brief Batman. <laughs> I mean, he's like he came around for six months, then you know took a break, and then came back, and then you know. Give up the mantle, and, that's, <laughs> and, and 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 like it's it's funny when we talk about it, but if you look at it in the context of the character, it's, it's something like that. Where you think about it like that, takes away from the character greatly because Definitely. it makes the idea of being bad not as had be continue to be Batman between those movies, but just maybe be my and not. A kind of weary Batman just isn't really doing his job well. Like he's been chased by the police. You would have accepted it more. He's eight years of Batman, and then you accept the way he is in that movie. That's why I would have done it anyway. Mm -hmm. But you know, he had he had a vision of Batman, and in his world, he was setting up that wouldn't that works for him. But as Batman fans, we kind of we want. Batman have a little bit more weight. I think it took the idea, the weight of the idea of Batman is gone because of that. You know, it's like he's just been around for six months. That's that's it. You know, <laughs> a year. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. What now? Going forward to before we jump into your incredible screenplay, what what are you? What are your thoughts on Man of Steel and then setting up the DC Cinematic Universe from that film? Can you talk about that? I'll talk about that, and, and, and what I'll say is, is that, like, I enjoyed the hell out of Man of Steel. Now, and I'm a Superman fan. They say you're a Superman. I like that movie, and I'll tell you why I like that movie. Because it presented me with a Superman that didn't bore me. Right, absolutely. And I love Superman. I, I, I love, like, I mean, one of the first cartoons I've ever watched was Superman cartoon. So Superman has been a part of my life as much as Batman has been. But the thing about Superman is he's such a goody goody in every every iteration of his comic character that he gets to be a little bit stale. So I, much of my entire life, was having this double Superman, and then saw Man of Steel. Man of Steel is a flawed movie, don't get me wrong, but the Superman it presented in that was a Superman I was interested in because he kind of, you know, wasn't. He was fallible, and a fallible mm -hmm. Superman is much more interesting than an infallible Superman. Because I know what an infallible Superman. Superman's going to do return. The Superman I see in this universe, I, I can't be 100% sure what he's going to do, which is interesting. Right. And like, I, it is a flawed movie. The only, I didn't really have any, you know, problems with the end of it like a lot of people did. You know, they say like the fight went on for like 30 minutes. Yeah, we could, we could agree to disagree on that. We can, you know, talk about that. The only real issue that I had with Man of Steel was, as we didn't get the the Daily Planet Clark Kent till the like the very end scene, and I was really hoping to see a little bit more of that in the. If we're gonna start at, like the world, you know, with Man of Steel, I would have liked to seen just a few more scenes of him at the Daily Planet, or you know, 
Yeah, like as that Clark Kent. You no, know, he was really good on the farm. He's really good as Superman. But th that character is really, you know, split into three. You have the, the Clark from the farm. You have, you know, Kal-El Superman. And then you have, you know, Clark Kent, how he wants to be portrayed as as the bumbler at the Daily Planet. Uh, yeah, I, I like I can see exactly where you're coming from because there's an aspect of the character that, like, for a lot of people who've seen the Richard Donner Superman film, seen the TV show, Behane and all that, is that Superman's backhand persona is what you kind of get attached to as far as his character because it's relatable. The Superman character is a super powerful guy who goes on fights the bad guy, save the day. But the Clark Kent's the part that we as an audience can kind of attach ourselves to. And they had that in Man of Steel, but it wasn't the familiar one you wanted to see. Right. They gave us the, they gave us the kind of the, the kind of he doesn't know where he is. He's an alien. He's kind of like feels separated from the human race, which is great. But at the same time, is like even then, that's slightly a little bit unrelatable for the common person, you know, because right. we're not alien. Right. You know. So, well, I'm an immigrant, so I suppose I can understand what it's like to be in a foreign place. But at the same time, I couldn't, you know, relate too much to that character in those aspects. Right. So, before the one more last question before we get into that amazing script, what are, what are your thoughts on Affleck go, as the Cape Crusader and going forward into the DC Cinematic Universe? Because it look, sounds like we're going to get not only, you know, Batman versus Superman, we're going to get Affleck in the Ju two Justice League movies and then the solo Batman movie. There's a lot of flack on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, you know, across the internet. You know, people were talking about it. You know, articles are written about how Affleck's going to screw up the role. Are you scared? Do you like Affleck in the role of Batman? Or, like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll be perfectly honest. He would never have been my first choice at all. When I, I remember the time I saw, I actually saw that he's going to be a, going to be Batman, I was like, Ben Affleck? What? I, I couldn't get my head around it. But then I actually gave it some honest thought. And if you look at Ben Affleck and you look at the way he looks, he is literally torn from the pages of a comic book. He looks like Bruce Wayne. He has a chin for Batman. He looks the part. So physically, you've got near enough the most perfect physical representation of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as his acting goes, if you watch The Town and Argo, you're basically seeing prototype Batman and Bruce Wayne. And Gone Girl as well. Yeah, you're seeing the edgy, that conflicted character in the town. Now it's not it's not Batman, don't get me wrong, but it's it's the building blocks of Batman. Mm -hmm. And in, in a Argo you're seeing this more of a tactician, smart, kinda aloof character. And I think if, if he channels that into his into Batman, he may be the best Batman we've ever seen. You know? I mean, will he be as intimidating as a as Michael Keaton's Batman? I don't think there'll ever be a Batman as intimidating as Michael Keaton's Batman. Will he be as kinda like Will you be with him as much as you were with, with the, the Bruce Wayne character, the Dark Knight trilogy? It's up in the air. But as far as a comic book Batman, I think he's the closest thing we're going to get. Right. And I, I, I would agree with that. Um, who you, you mentioned it wasn't your first choice to, to play Batman. Can you give us who you would have liked to have seen or a few people who, who you would have yeah. liked to have seen? portray that character in this new DC cinematic universe? My my first choice was uh, Carl Urban. You know, really? He played both in uh, Star Trek and uh, he's been in Lord of the Rings movies and stuff like that. 
he played Judge Dredd in the Dredd movie, mm-hmm. he would have been my first choice. Because even before the announcer going with an older Batman, in my head I wanted to see an older Batman that had been around for a while. And Carl Urban had that kind of swagger and presence for Batman, you know? And then when you see Dredd, you could have easily played the Batman character, like, hands down. You know? So he'd have been my first choice. And, you know, I, I thought about characters like actors that just fit the profile of the character, but as far as who I would have chosen, it would have been Carl Urban. So no Josh Brolin, no Joe Manganiello, none of those guys? Josh Brolin... I would, I'm going to say this is probably, because Josh Brolin, I don't hate him as an actor. I think he's, he's a good actor. He's very talented or whatever. But he would have been a terrible decision for Batman. Why? I'll tell you why. Yeah, go because, for it. Because whenever in a film where he's paying character with a little bit of pain, he grunts through a movie. Like I watched Old Boy recently, uh, the Old Boy remake, and that is one of the most head-wreckingly awful films to sit through. You guys may like it, and I, everybody can like what they want to like, so I'm not bashing anybody's taste. But for me... I saw a glimpse of what his Batman might have been, and I just thought, no, that would have been a terrible miscast. You know what I mean? And people just look at him and think, oh, great, but I guarantee you, in the suit, he just wouldn't have sold it. You know, I think, I think, I don't think Josh Brolin would have been a good choice at all, in hindsight. That's right. fair, yeah, man. yeah. So let's let's jump right into it. That brings us to the script. Yeah, you're you were able to write. What is it? 135. I thought it was 154. Or was that, what is it? 154 pages. 154, man. How are you able to write a feature-length Batman versus Superman script that when I read it, I legitimately thought that this was the shooting screenplay for the upcoming movie? How are you able to do that in five days? Uh, Well, here's the thing. For like the the months previous to the five days thing, I had kind of like all these jumbled notes of what I want to see a Batman in. Uh, Superman movie to be, and there were the kinds of rumors I I based uh, the I based off, and then when I came down to writing it, I just a simple thing is I had a deadline in my head. I had to do get the script done before the San Diego Comic came out, because I felt that was the only time I could get any traction or anyone believe it was the actual shoot the script. So I pretty much pretty much spent in I spent every day hammering it out and just. It had it worked out in my head to such a point that it just, I put blood, sweat, and tears in just getting it done. And I got, I remember I got it done. It was like, it was an endurance test. And I remember I like, when I, when I did the last scene, I thought, Jesus Christ, what did now I'm finished? <laughs> it was like, it was, it was, it was very difficult to just keep my level of attention to it to get it done that quick. And I got it done in five days and I'm pretty proud of it. Like, it was full of spelling errors and stuff like that. Just to get the content of the screenplay down in five days. Well, I I had never done that in my it before in my life, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. But it's it, I got it. It's yeah, five days. It was just really it was an endurance test, and I, I just kept at it. So you said there was like spelling errors and stuff. So you also edited it, edited it yourself. And yeah, but everything. It, it, it was did, all you. It, I didn't have any help. I, I it's, awesome. like, it's one of those things when I when I when I write, it's a very singular experience. And I kind of do everything myself. And whenever I write a first draft, that's what it's like. It's just full of errors, full of stuff like that. It's right. pretty much installed. It was, it was only one draft. So it's, that's how, if I had a couple of months to work on it, I probably would have done a lot better with it. But that's the draft I got done in five days. Well, within five days, I will tell you this. And I know that Kyle and Tom and I, I've read a, I'm like 10 pages left. And I'm, I'm going to 
finish it tonight. I just got busy with. I'm about a enough, third of the way through preparing for tonight's uh, podcast. The way that you were able to start the movie off and just make it flow scene by scene, there was not a moment to waste. Yeah. Can you talk about how you were able to make it flow and make it feel like a big Hollywood, like you were able to to do something that most people, you know, people who are trained in Hollywood are unable to do talk about that because it flows from the moment it from the moment the opening scene starts to the to you know the moment where batman's finally on the rooftop can you talk about how you're able to just make that flow i know you talk about as a, it's an endurance thing but like you have a talent that a lot of people don't have can you just talk about that because it's it's incredible how you're able to do that within five days uh well basically the 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 if, especially the opening scenes, like the scene with Aquaman and stuff like that, I just, in my head, I had a vision of what the world would be with Superman and what that Man of Steel world would be. And I felt I had to open it big, and then I had to get to Batman in a very kind of, in a way that just sold the Batman character of that universe straight away. Like, I couldn't just, like, slowly, just kind of, you know what I mean, just set up Batman, set up Batman, and set up Batman. I just had to get Superman establish what Superman's doing in that world, establish the world beyond Superman, and then establish that Batman could be in that world. And in my head, I had a definite vision of Superman and Batman, how they would how they would exist in that world. That's so when I started writing it, uh, my original scene, my original vision for the scene in, uh, with the oil tank wasn't actually, it was supposed to be in Chechnya, uh, and it didn't have Aquaman. Like, wasn't uh, was was not supposed to be in that opening scene the way I had originally planned out in my head, but I decided very late that I wanted to to show that Superman is in a world where he's not exactly the only unique figure. So I decided, well, guess what will I do? I'll just I'll have him go up against Aquaman very early on. I kind of foreshadow the way people are reacting to Superman. So I. Set up there, I just thought I was going to go up against Aquaman. And I think with that, I think would just sell the idea that he's not the only superhero in the world. Right. He's not the, the only superhero in the world. Right. And you were able to, you know, start that off perfectly. But I'm going to say this the way that you were able to introduce the Dark Knight in, in your screenplay, to me, is the favorite, the, the best interpretation of the character, you know, introduction to a movie that. You know, ever because Such you a fucking badass. It like, started like spoilers. Everyone listening to this, the way that you were able to start off with Carrie Kelly, who's twenty one years old, on the rooftop. You know, Zaz is like right over top of her with a knife, and then Batman comes in, and then that the scene with you know Grayson on that rooftop really sets the world in motion for the cinematic universe for DC because this is your first introduction to the character this to this Ben Affleck character um in in, in the world and you were able to just pitch perfect get everything that you wanted wanted to say feel touch just all the five senses hit off from that opening sequence with Batman on that rooftop how are you able to write that so perfectly? Because it sets up it's not it sets up the entire world going forward too. Here you have this introduction of this great character who's dealing with this, all all this baggage from you know the death of Jason Todd 
You had you introduced Carrie Kelly in that scene. You introduced the Dark Knight, and you introduced Nightwing. Can you can you talk about that? Because that when I read that scene, I was like, "Holy shit! This is this is fucking incredible." How how did you do that? Well, what I, how I approached uh, Batman as a character, I felt I always when I was going into writing, I always felt like, well, "How would why what, would there be a reason that Batman would feel the need to go up against Superman?" And I felt, well, what, how would Batman, what would Batman have to do in order to get that type of confrontation? So I kind of looked at the mythology of Batman. And one of my favorite characters in the Batman mythology is Jason Todd. And I feel that that character is probably the most important character for me in the Batman mythology because it's the first time you ever see Batman really fail. So I figured, what would Batman be like after Jason Todd's death in, 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 in that world? And I figured he'd be a very broken, hurt person. And then I figured, well, how would people around him react to him then? And then it just all fell into place. as well, well, this Batman just doesn't give a shit about stopping people. And it just as capturing criminals anymore. He just wants to stop them and stop all the violence before someone dies. And he kind of starts going off the edge. And I felt that how would Nightwing and Gordon and everybody else react to him like that? Well, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? You're not, you're not Batman anymore. You're just, you're just a violent thug on the street, just getting revenge. And I figured, well, if Batman would, in his heart, always regret that that Jason Todd died because he's trying to stop Jason, because Jason was reckless and he never stopped Jason when he should have. So that's when he's looking at Superman, that's what he sees. He sees the pain in his past. He sees Jason Todd in Superman because Superman has all this power. He's reckless. And this is what happens when you're reckless with that power. And that's just, Batman's character just fell into my head. Just It, it just it formed itself completely. That he is just a broken man trying to just do anything he can to ease the pain of his past, you know. And yeah. that's what—that's how Batman. That's how I wrote Batman in that. I wrote him as just like a, a father mourning his son, you know. And and you can tell that with that first scene in the cave with Alfred. Alfred's on, like trying to console this. You can tell. You can tell that Batman's broken man. Yeah, yeah. He, Batman is broken, and it's and it's I. I I don't want to like underplay how amazing your script was. Was saying you know like Humpty Dumpty was broken and Alfred's trying to put him back together, but you, Alfred, it's almost like Alfred is reaching to a man that has lost all hope, not in just the world but him in himself as well. And you, that that first scene with Alfred and you know Bruce as Bruce is watching the monitor and watching the you know Man of Steel, um, and he's watching you know the Russian. I can't remember what you had in the other monitor. But like yeah. that, that scene was so pivotal to the script because it really foreshadowed like how alone Bruce Wayne the Batman is. Like, it, you know well, what I mean? Well, like, that's it. That's the that was what I wanted to show. The Batman of that world is really kind of he's been around for a long time, and terrible things have happened in that time. And this is how he is now. I didn't want to go in just like, well, this is Batman. I know this is Batman at the end of his journey. This is Batman where he's like, oh, I've just something he's. He's seen a consequence of what he does, and the violence and him going out and facing criminals is more like, like it's like alcohol to him, it's just softening the pain of the past. You know what I mean? Right. For those few moments every night when he's fighting a criminal, he's forgetting about Jason Todd a little bit. Right. And that's what Superman represents. Superman represents the kind of the, 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 the kind of he's balancing out everything. It's some sort of redemption to him, even though, you know, at the end of the day, he realizes, you know, it's just a mistake. He can't, he can't fix it. 
Can can I read a small little snippet of your screenplay on this podcast just to show the audiences who have not been able to had the had the chance to read this amazing mm-hmm. script? Can can, I, can I do that? It's oh, just, you can go right ahead. Okay, this is you know right after Nightwing leaves, um, it goes Batman's left alone to ponder his former friend's accusation, and then it goes a little bit further, and it, it, you're given a description of this Batman said in this world, he goes, he's in his early 40s, but doesn't look a day beyond 35, except for in his eyes, which are old beyond his his years. The eyes of a war veteran who has seen too many horrors. Like, that right there, just, like, in that in that small little snippet that you wrote, you, you're giving an entire character, you know, a, a, a small little origin just with the, the look in his eyes, and then it's everything that's set for it. It's, like, it's the perfect iteration when you were writing this, did you take any, uh, any uh, you know, little snippets from you know the Dark Knight Returns or the animated series when you're writing that? Can can you talk about that because that right there well, sets everything I can, up. I can, there, what I there there is there there has to be a building block uh, with that version of Batman, and I did kind of in my head figure out what if the Batman of the animated series suffered. So terrible cataclysm in his life and the jason todd that was a cataclysm like he's essentially he had buried his own son because of a mistake he made so any any father who loses a child has that carries that pain you know what i mean it, it never goes away and it's so that's so that batman is kind of like the inspiration for that batman came from the animated series and from the thomas wayne batman of flashpoint which is probably one of the best alternate versions of batman i've ever seen because there is this pain there that I've always seen that maybe the, the the mainstream universe Batman they've really focused on is pain for losing Jason Todd because I think Jason Todd's death is more important a death in his life than even his own parents death you know and I I just channeled that into the character yeah and, uh, and that's how it wow. formed you know like I I just gave it a basis in that the the, the, the death of his son Tech well, his adopted son is just what fuels him now. It's like he's either running from it or he's running to it, and he's just he's trying to find a way away from it. You know. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what would you say was your favorite character to write within the script? Do you have one, or, or what? What, what can you talk about? Uh, Lex Luthor, hands down. Lex Luthor. Oh, that's my awesome character. Choice. The, the version of Lex Luthor is hands down my favorite. Batman was a character I loved writing because he's Batman. He's he's just it was. It felt really easy, not so much easy to write Batman, but like, you know, when you're writing Batman and Batman's doing this, you kind of get like excited because you're writing Batman. Lex Luthor was a little bit stiffer to get a handle on because I had to figure what was the Lex Luthor. Like Lex Luthor, I pretty much had very little to work with as far as creating that Lex Luthor character. I had to find a way to put him in that universe, find a way to get him done, find a way to give him a motivation for doing what he does, and then create something a little bit unique that no one's seen before. And I had to go with a younger, because Jesse Eisenberg was cast at this point, so I had to make Lex Luthor young. So to write in Lex Luthor was just so much fun to do because I made him this really just like magnificent little bastard. Right, <laughs> yeah, he's right. a douche, yeah. Like, but, you know, like, it's, it's just, it was, it was a, a case, like, you, you write Lex Luthor and you write a guy who's consistently winning and is so confident he's going to win. It's just so much because you 
there's there's no real limits to what you can say. So when he's when he's talking to Batman, he's he knows he's talking to Batman, and he's still confident. He's talking to Superman. He knows what Superman can do, and he's still confident he can win. And then when in that character, when I show that his confidence is shaken, his reaction is just so crazy. He releases a doomsday killing machine to to reinforce his uh, his self importance. And it was just it was just so much fun to write. When you writing the character Lex Luthor, where did you take the characters? Did you have a specific comic book? Did you have you know the Gene Hackman or the Kevin Spacey character in mind, or did you just like I'm going to go in this fresh without taking any like obviously the the mythology of Lex Luthor kind of you know is your inspiration, but did you just like I'm just going to write this is how I see my Lex Luthor, or did you, can you talk about that? This is because because I had so little that I could actually I I did uh, I do own Brian Azzarello's version of Luther, uh, his comic book Luther, and which is great. It's great. Brian Azzarello is a great writer, but that wasn't the Luther I felt needed to be in the film. So I had to kind of come up with my own Luther, and then I came up uh, with a with a a, ca- a character that was kind of unique to the to. To me, it was like a unique. Ver- it was like if I was to write a comic book tomorrow, that would be the Lex Luthor I'd use. You know, and and he was he was like came from a different place than the Lex Luthor characters have come from in the comic books and the movies. You know, the Kadir came from privilege, or they were just kind of you know con artists or whatever. He was a very unique version of Lex Luthor, and I'm actually very very proud of all the things I wrote for screenplay. He's he's one of the, the things I'm most proud of. And you, right. Because you never really see that version of Lex Luthor in any other uh, media. It's 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 definitely a, an amazing take on such a diabolical character that you know we've seen so many you know iterations. You know, if you look at the anime, the Superman animated series, you look at you know Gene Hackman, Kevin Spacey, you know his take on the character. What you were able to do with Lex Luthor is you know kind of flip Luthor on his head and give him this like this edge. He's to me like I see him as this. Uh, like this, this sword, this you know tempered steel sword that he's willing to he can take out anything. Like his confidence can take out anything, and he you know, do you do you see what I'm trying to say with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like when you if, when you read the screenplay, he has already put his plans of destroying Superman in motion before he even meets Superman, before he ever has any real to interaction with it. It's like it's like before that movie. If you if you're watching as a movie before that movie's even started, Lex Luthor already has a plan, and that's. When Batman turns up, like he already knew Bruce Wayne was Batman from a long time beforehand. He kind of he's the guy who knows everything and is so confident in that he just wants to. He just he he feels that he's just his resolve and his determination can get you anything. And writing a character like that is just it's so much fun because you're 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 writing this like this ultimate confidence, you know. And like you have I have a line in the script where you see he walks by Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne is. Just big, strapping, strong, you know what I mean, physical, physical peak in the peak of the physical profession. And Lex is kind of a slight little dude, but at the same time, his confidence overshadows Batman or overshadows Bruce Wayne. And that's why I think Lex Luthor should always be portrayed on screen as the guy who knows everything before anybody else. And that's where he kind of matches Batman. He's almost as good of a tactician as Batman. Wow. And I think that makes that makes the perfect villain. And 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 another thing, I think what makes that Lex Luthor so compelling to me anyway is that I wrote him. He fully believes in what he's doing. He believes he is right in every aspect. 
and because of that everything is like the means make the ends to him so he'll use anybody to get what he wants right yeah that's that awesome explanation man that's awesome i have a, probably the a dumb follow-up question who's your least favorite character writing the script did you have like, someone that that just like uh man i don't want to write him anymore he just he's just not i can't i'm struggling to get to my head wrapped around him was there any character in the script that you just like just disliked my least favorite character to write and this is not a slight on the character itself right it, it was hard to really put the character of like uh john stewart and i love john stewart into because i felt i didn't really i i didn't really write him as well as i could have and I felt I was constricted in what I was doing with Batman, Superman, Lex Luthor, and even Wonder Woman, that I couldn't really establish him as as well as I could have. Like so the way you brought him in, or? Uh, to weave him in. So I needed him there, because I, in my head I was showing that I was setting up a Justice League movie to follow, so I needed some plot right. strands in there to work. And Jon Stewart is the main part of that, being connected to the Green Lanterns. And I, I wanted a backstory there, but I don't feel if I was just a critique my screenplay, I don't feel I established that as well as I could have. And I feel that when you get to the end of it, it doesn't have as much weight as it would mean. If it was a real movie you made, I feel that would be a certain flaw. I mean, he was always very stoic as I wrote him, very kind of like straightforward. There was no real nuance to his character or any subtleties to his character. So I felt that I dropped the ball on that one. Uh, that's, that's probably the hardest character I wrote for, you know? I, I didn't like when I'm reading it. If everything felt so like integrated, and you were able to, you know, even when we're writing a hard character like Amanda Waller when she's having the conversation with Je the general. I can't ever pronounce his last name. Swanick, Swanick. Like, one, one I can never pronounce his last name for the life of me. Um, like everything just felt so weaved in, especially at the very when things are finally coming to a head at the very end. Now, when you're when you were done writing. Done writing the script now. Did you who, did you send it off to anyone? Can you talk about that? Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, I would say heat that came around about this script. Uh, I posted it uh, on because I did a lot of research on how to get uh, a screenplay out there because there there has been legitimate screenplay leads in the past in certain movies. So I looked at those uh to to see well what would uh how did they get out so that's what i did i looked at certain sites like and adnan.com where you can just upload a screen like that and then anybody can read it and then there was there was a, a scrib.com where you can just upload a screen and anybody can link to it so that's how i got it out to the public eye and uh, that's how it leaked and uh, it was like uh it leaked fast and i thought it would to be perfectly honest yeah, it was like an instant blow-up, really, right? Right. I mean, but that's the thing because I think what I, what I my main thing with writing screenplay is write it so it seems so earnest. Nobody's going to question the parts that don't really ring true, and it worked a lot better than I thought it would. A lot, a lot better than I expected. And it was so genius the time that you actually dropped it, like right before but the that's, San that's Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Like it was, it was per you you planned it nearly. It was flawless. Mm. And it, it worked, and it, it worked a little bit too well, you know, because I remember when it did break and it broke, broke uh, big. I was on a, 
websites and I was on like the IG the boards and I was seeing people argue over my work. And I was like, well, this is crazy. People are are critiquing my work. I'm getting to arguments about it, you know? So that's when I came out and admitted it was it was a, it was a false screenplay. Now, when, as you were, uh, as it was leaking out and you saw that people were arguing over it, were you, you said you were a little surprised, surprised about it. Did, did at any point you're like, wow, this is, I've written so, uh, such a good script that people are, you know, taking what I've written as the Bible for Batman v Superman or, you, or were you like, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have did this or any, there's always there was always a twinge of regret when I did it because people because I didn't expect anyone to like it that much and the real thing that made me regret doing it is because there was people that really enjoyed the screenplay I didn't expect that I saw people oh, I love the screenplay this is the movie I want to see and I thought well I've kind of gotten their hopes up about something and at the end I tricked them and and that didn't that didn't sit well with me like like tricking the scoop sites and all that. I'm not going to feel a guilty about that because they scoop sites and all that rely on illegally, illegally got illegally got information. Right. You know what I mean? Because you're not supposed to find out the stuff they're reporting on is stuff they're not supposed to know that has been released from the studio by people who are not supposed to do it. So my guilt toward them isn't isn't is easy to get over. But when I see that genuine fans were doing videos online about reviewing the script and how much they love it and how what they wanted to see on screen. Well, then I would feel I felt real bad then, right? Because I'm I'm a fan like anybody else, and I'd I'd be a if I had seen something that really like this is awesome, and then I found out it was fake, I'd be like this is ah that's that's a kick in the ass like that, you know. Now, did any of those scoop sites um, did they reach out to you, and did was there any backlash from them? There was quite a bit of backlash from uh, certain figures. Uh, both public and behind the scenes like i got a few very na- got a few nasty emails and like i i'm sure that they're still out to find out more about me i know that for a fact i know there's people out there that, that are looking to see like who is this guy like people think i'm i work for warner brothers and that's a persistent rumor that's going around that i'm somehow working for warner brothers and behind the scenes on this stuff and i've stolen information from warner brothers and put it into screenplay and i and you know they everyone's just curious about who I am and that's never a really good thing. There's some people that are curious to see if I work in the industry or if I'm a screenwriter or a named screenwriter that they go, Oh yeah, well this is the guy who did it. But then there's other people who just want to just like, you know, their their uh, their intentions that is a uh, noble, you know. Right. So uh you wanna clear that up right here? You you are not working for Warner Brothers, correct? I do not work for Warner Brothers. I don't know anybody who worked for Warner Brothers. Any similarities between my script and the actual shooting film are completely coincidental, and I put that down to because at the end of the day, we were still writing about the same source material. So it's all just coincidence because people are coming to me, well, Doomsday is supposed to be in the movie, he's in your script, and go, well, you know, Doomsday's a villain in the comic books. He goes, well, you know, Carrie Kelly's in the show, yeah, screenplay might be in the movie played by uh, Jenna Malone. I go, well, you know, that's because, you know, I looked at the Dark Knight Returns and I put something in there for the fans of the Dark Knight Returns, you know. These are just coincidences. I'm not like, right. look, here's the thing. I've reached out to Warner Brothers legal department and I'm not sued right now. So it's like that thing. If I was re- if I was really working for Warner Brothers, I'd be in a lot of trouble, you know. Yeah, they, they'd come after you. I, f- I feel like the Dark Knight would actually come after you and, like, <laughs> battering yeah. you and... 
take you into the Batcave and start torturing you for information. <laughs> exactly. They would, they, would, they would want to know where I got my information. They'd want to know who I know, and they'd investigate. But, you know, they, I, I, they know uh, they know at this point because that's like hype you under stress. Warner Brothers legal department knows exactly who I am. Oh, yeah. I mean, they know exactly who I am. Because, and it's not because they did any investigation. It's because I was told they were looking for me in a bad way. And then I went and just threw them because I knew I was legally protected. I hadn't actually broken any laws. And when I went, it, it, there was no trouble. Like, you know what I mean? They were, they were just like a couple of people behind the scenes were kind of like a little bit impressed. They thought, you know, this is, this is kind of, they, 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 they were amused by it. But no one was one of them was about to get me. Right. And, you know, they, I, I'm telling you that that script is amazing. And there's, there's good reason why people at Warner Brothers were impressed. Now, you said that you went out. Did, did you go out to Warner Brothers and meet with them? Or did, was it kind of no, like... It, it was it was, it was a, a correspondence uh, via email and via phone. So I didn't actually... I just... I called up and I, they have all my details. They have my fucking phone number. <laughs> <laughs> they know. They know exactly. Because Warner Brothers is a very smart company and they're a very watertight company as far as me. Because they thought I was somehow connected to the studio, somehow connected to the studio, and was leaking information and had stolen a synopsis of the screenplay or stolen something like that and used it, they would come after me and they would make me pay for that. Because they are, right. they are a very powerful company, you know? One of the most powerful ones in, in, in the world today. So, you know? Oh. It's a, it's like a, I would like them to come after me and hire me for something in the superhero world, but that remains to be seen. So, like, all that being said, you don't work for them and all that stuff. Like, do you uh, think that you have maybe sparked interest in some people's eyes to maybe in the, you know, near future yeah. having an employment somewhere? I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't benefit from this. You know, I don't want to go into it too much. Okay. But, uh, yeah, things, it has opened doors for them, you know, in the industry. It has opened doors. That's you know, awesome. Because people... People like here's the thing. These are companies that want product done quick and they want it done to a certain degree. And then when you write a script in five days and, it out and people believe it, well, then they're going to come ask you questions. They're going to want to talk to you. So if I was to say that I didn't benefit from this situation, I'd be telling a lie. But I don't want to go too much. But doors have been opened. That's all I'll say. Right. You you caught a little bit of the heat, but it looks like. That that kind of turned around into something that potentially may turn into something that could be great for a, a long gestating career for you because, like I said, that I've read a bunch of screenplays and I read that first Batman Begins screenplay by David Goyer, who is in the industry. Your script trumps that by like tenfold. It is amazing how you're able to just pulling all these characters and give them introductions that made sense that, you know, that felt right to the characterizations and the, the tension between the characterizations. And then the way that like Clark Kent went back to the farm to hang out with his mom and stuff. And like the way that you use Lois Lane in the background with, you know, just the way you used everybody else, even not just the, uh, the normal characters we're well, used to seeing to tie everything into the story was just gorgeous. Well, I'm very, very proud of my, uh, Martha Kent. I actually do. And, and a lot of people were, uh, I remember online, people were talking about 
like the scenes of Martha Kent and like, did she have a drinking problem? And I was like, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Martha Kent. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, the line where you lady. said you guys get too drunk. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, she's an older lady who doesn't have a husband, lives on the farm on her own. I just went at it kind of a realistic. What would she do for fun? She'd have a drink. What and the fuck Lois else Lane, is there to do? Yeah. Lois Lane was established in Man of Steel and been able to knock back bourbon like with nobody's business. So I figured, <laughs> like, if they're going to. If they're going to know each other and uh, for a year and like Superman Satan, then well, they're going to have to find something to bond over. And I felt it would just be funny to show Martha Kent not as this kind of like woman in the background, but just had a little bit of personality to her, like you know, a little, a little bit of fun, a little bit of jokes for the actual story before it, cause there's a danger of those stories getting serious. So I just Martha Kent was the comic relief, and I think Diane Lane looks like she'd be a very funny person. So right. I think something the studio should look at, just like putting her kind of putting that kind of humor. She's Superman's mom. What's what's not funny about that? You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> she her son is a god basically. So you know, what I mean, she'd have to have a few drinks to deal with that at the end of the day. You know? Oh yeah, Kyle. I know you've been itching to ask Mister Son of Arrogance a question, or. Jay, he's he's now our friend. What, what yeah. do you have to ask him? All right, so you're you're talking about getting some personality into the character of Superman's mother. Were there other any other characters that you'd maybe like to see given the same treatment in the future? Uh, as far as the greater DC universe, or like the Man of Steel character? Let's talk about the greater DC universe. Greater DC universe. I think one of the characters I would love to see. Uh, no, there's a couple of characters I'd love to. See. I would love to see. Guy Gardner because he is my favorite Green Lantern because he's the most interesting Green Lantern and uh, I'd like to see him because he's both comic relief and he's a badass <laughs> he's funny and kind of kind of silly but at the same time he's, he can, he's a badass when he has to be and then at the same time another character that really needs to and I don't think I have any plans for him yet but Martian Manhunter yeah. oh nice yeah and this is one like I like David Goyer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna. He he made, he wrote Blade. He wrote a lot of films. I really enjoy. But his comments about Marsh Martian Manhunter bothered me a little bit because I feel Martian Manhunter, if you do him right, is going to be one of the most awesome characters you'll see on screen because there's so much to him that he's kind of like Superman but a different viewpoint, you know. And I, I wrote on my blog a little way before it came into the DC Universe, and I think that they really should uh, look into getting somebody for that, you know, because that's, that's just a character they can't, you can't miss with Martian Manhunter. If you do him right, you're gonna, you, you have a win on your hands. Who do you want to see play Martian Manhunter, then, if you if that ever happened? Who, do you have anybody in mind? Uh, that's a difficult one. It really is a difficult one, because uh, Martian Manhunter is such a specific character, I it may be one of those things where it have to it have, have to surprise me. You know? Our own Justin Shanley wants John Hamm, but he wants John Hamm to play every single person in any <laughs> film ever. So. Uh, John Hamm would be good. Would actually be a good choice. John Hamm will be the like if you were to go to a short list of actors right now, would play Martian Manhunter and would make him a viable character. God damn it, Jay. Stop fucking agreeing with him. You're just gonna fuel his flame. <laughs> let, 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 but I'm gonna, like, let me break it down. He'd be on the top list. But the problem with, the problem with casting a movie with people you automatically want for uh, a role, mm-hmm. it means you'll never be surprised. And the important thing about casting roles like this is that you need an actor that will surprise you and make the character fresh in your life. Very so, well put. All you think John Hamm would be the perfect choice. 
on paper, yes, but if you saw him, you just you know what John Hamm's going to do with that performance. I'll give you an example. When they cast Benedict Cumberbatch for Doctor Strange, I wasn't impressed at all. And, and I'm not bashing Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm not bashing the character Doctor Strange, but just no, I knew experience. they were going to cast him. So I wasn't I wasn't excited. And that's the problem. Whenever you cast someone... And the same Carol Urban got cast as Batman. I'd have been like, yay, he's Batman. But then again, I know what type of Batman I'm going to see with Carol Urban. And I don't know what I'm going to see with Ben Affleck, so it's much more exciting. <laughs> Right, that's that's a that's actually a really great point because a lot of people were surprised with Ben Affleck, with Gal Gadot, and especially with Jesse Eisenberg when Jesse Eisenberg was cast as me, Lex Luthor. About Jesse Eisenberg, I actually don't like Jesse Eisenberg as a character as an actor. And he, the movies he's in, he's always played a very samey version of of a character. Wimpy, like, yeah. But that might work for the character because it's supposed to not like Lex Luthor, I'm supposed to be against Lex Luthor, I'm supposed to be questioning his motives, and you put Lex Luthor, you put Jesse Eisenberg in that role, well, I automatically question him, straight away, I'm like, oh, this dickhead, and <laughs> that's, that's, that's not insult to Jesse Eisenberg, I'm sure he's a very nice guy in real life, but, like, the characters he plays always come across a little bit slimy, and that might work, so when I see Lex Luthor, I can see him as a villain, you know, it's not too much of a stretch, so that's an example of how someone I would never have cast as as Lex Luthor will surprise me. I don't know exactly how he's going to play out, but I have a feeling the way he plays out will impress me. Right. You know, um, you put it, back to your script. Is there, if you were to write a sequel to your script, would you ju- jump right back into you know Justice League, or would you rather take an entire character like Batman and map out his world like you were able to do with? with your amazing script, or would you like to jump uh, in the future and make a Batman Beyond screenplay? I've written, and I've, I've posted on Twitter, I haven't posted a script before, I've written a Batman feature film screenplay, which is kind of a semi-sequel to to my uh, Batman vs. Superman. I just haven't got around to posting yet. I'm going through a second draft right now, because when I first wrote it, I was like, I'm just going to post it just for a laugh, but I actually got to like the story. And so I actually have written a semi-sequel to my screenplay called uh, Batman Red Knight. And but if I was to write one now, I would love to take a crack at Justice League because I would try to do it different with a different way from anyone else. Talk about that Batman Red Knight script because I'm just hearing about this and the way that you were able to, you know, wrap your head around the character of Wayne and Alfred and Carrie Kelly and uh, you know Nightwing. Well, I, I just want I, to know. I just want more of that world. It, it was so pitch perfect. Every beat, every moment on, on, in in on the page. Can you talk about? Or are you able to I'll, talk I'll, about? I'll give, I'll give it a, a synopsis. Uh, I won't give too much away because I'd like people to read it and be right. able to see what I've done with it. Because I'm actually, I actually, as I'm going to the second draft now, whenever I have the time, I go back to it. I actually like the way it's going. But basically, it's my version. Uh, what would ha- what would happen to the Bat family and that emphasis on the word family in the aftermath of Jason Todd's death and his return like what what it is what it would do to both Batman and I the, the way I do it is it's post Justice League movie so for the first time ever I put I, I think I've written a Batman who is happy with his world right now he's happy with the way things are going for himself so the return of 
the return of the shadows of his past and the way it affects the family, including I, I kind of saw it as Alfred as the grandfather, uh, Leslie Thompson as grandmother, uh, Bruce Wayne is the son, uh, Bruce Wayne is the is the father, and uh, Dick Grayson is the son. Uh, Barbara Gordon is the son of, is the daughter-in-law, and Jason Todd is this dead son that's come back. And it's very different from Under the Red Hood or any other adaptations of uh, of uh, the Jason Todd comeback story. I've done I've, I've changed a lot around like the how it happens and why it happens, and, and I have the Joker in it. And uh, as not as the main villain, because the Joker is in it, but he's more in the background. And it's basically that story, but told in a very different way of looking at it. You know, it's more of a family. What would happen to a family if, if a dead sibling came back into life and that dead sibling was pissed? You know, so that's why that's that's what it's generally what it's about. Oh man, can can you hurry up and get that? I want to read that shit. <laughs> it, 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 there's a first draft, and the first draft is what I was going to do. It was very basic, and it was I liked the beats, and I had a lot of cool stuff in it, and I really enjoyed it. But then as I went back to touch up a little bit, I found myself changing with the story. And I will say this: my Jason Todd is more vicious than a hundred Winter Soldiers, and it's just it it. Damn. Very different. It's very, very much more savage and sad than his comic book counterpart. Just it's, it works out very different. His his coming back and his reasons for coming back and his his ultimate like plan. And it said uh, the title Red Knight is 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 uh, is very telling of the of the actual screenplay. You know, so it's like not Red Hood, it's Red Knight. It's kind of like it's a little bit. Stri- it's it's how it ends up. It's I think if it was a Batman movie, I think people would be very sad at this point. Wow, that that sounds awesome. That's really sounds yeah, awesome. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely have my interest. In that. Um, we've talked a lot about characterization, and I, I'm really interested in how you write the action because you're, it's so descriptive and you feel every blow. When you're writing the action, are you are you seeing it? No, on the IMAX screen, are you or is it something that when you're writing the action, it has every blow has a purpose? Or are you just writing it because writing action is a lot more fun for you? Or writing, writing action, as far as the actual writing of action, can be actually time consuming because a lot of text and all that. But when you kind of have a rhythm going with an action sequence, it's kind of like a song. Like it, 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 it repeats. But doesn't repeat the same way, and it keeps going. Like it, when you first see Zaz fighting Batman. Oh my God, that's so descriptive. Like it's awesome. It's kind of like there's a rhythm to it. I want to show that this Batman doesn't kill, but at the same time he will break your bones and he yeah. will leave you crippled because he really doesn't like you. He really doesn't. If you're a criminal, he just wants to hurt you. He doesn't want to stop you or take you into court. He wants to make sure you never commit crimes again. He won't go too far, but he'll just go just so far enough that when you wake up the next day, you're going to change your life perspective. It's just going to be completely changed. And with Zaz, is that Zaz is such a repellent character. That's the character that makes him go over the edge, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, the action beats and that is just like, it's just like, one, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, he hits him. Uh, reaction he hits him again, ultimate reaction, and then you have the reaction of his character, and reaction of the character he's fighting, and that's just, it's kind of like a like I said, it's like a song. It's like everything repeats, but it repeats differently. Right, and in the way that you that you wrote the, that beat with Zaz again, you know, with Carrie Kelly and Batman finally coming up, 
is you're telling like so many different stories. Like, can you talk about how you were able to populate your world and put everything into? You know, it's a, it's a broad stroke, but it was done so masterfully. It's like it's like a it's like a painting that just fit, everything fits so perfectly. Can you talk about how you're able to populate your world with, you know, Waller, Stewart, Batman, well, Carrie Kelly, all those people? I I looked at it as like I look I didn't approach it like each character was a, <clears throat> excuse me I didn't approach it like each character was empty of themselves. I felt like they were bits and pieces of a. a, a the story, so when I wrote Amanda was one of my favorite comic book characters, you know what I mean? Because like, I just love the concept, I love the character, I love the way she's been interpreted and just being in the cartoon, but like, I, in, in all the media, she's just that character. And her functioning there, she functions as the character that sets up the final confrontation, so whenever I look at each character, they have to have a place in the story. Like, be it Batman, he has a very important function in the story. He's not just there. Amanda Waller isn't just there. She's not, like, ultimately the focus, but she has a focus in the story. And it's the same with Jon Stewart. He has this true line in the story that, like, he has a reason for being there, and it's revealed at the very end. And that's where I think that studios should approach their characters, is that they should approach, they should approach as, like, a jigsaw puzzle. If you're going to put a character in, don't put that character in just to be there or as an author fan. Put that character in for a purpose. Like Car Carrie Kelly's in there as a victim, but even then, I would set it up in the same way. She's seen Batman in action. Batman saved her, so therefore, her, it's open right there for her to be Robin later on. Right. You know, it's a little bit different from the comic book, but it's it still works. You know, so each character has a purpose for being there. You know, and if you know their purpose for being there, then it's more easier to write because you're not struggling to to find a motivation. Right. And like the way that you were able to introduce Carrie, I thought was much more logical. Like as soon as you, okay, girl with red hair, okay, young girl, like, jump into my bat wing. Like, yeah, yeah like, like the way that you, she's twenty one, and she's she's obviously has that maturity level within her, and like it just fits so perfectly. And it's amazing that within. Well, you said like you had all these notes and everything, but to co just compile it in five days. You know, I'm in college, and it takes me ten days to write. You know, a decent you know term paper. You were able to write a, a well, Hollywood think, blockbuster in five days. Yeah, well, that's here's, it's because in my head I had such a, a focus on what story was that, like the the way I write, like in all of my work, because like I I I'm a screenwriter. That's that's my trade. That's what I want to do. The way I write is like it's almost like a it's like a puzzle. Like you hit another. You hit a problem, you have to figure it out. And when you figure out a, a, a part of a story, you can actually go back to the start and it, it, you, you get a fresher look at what you're writing. And you can kind of change what you need. A lot of times when I was writing the screenplay, I would write a new scene and go, well, I should foreshadow this scene and make it work better if I put this scene ahead of it. You know, it's like a lot of, like the whole thing when I'm foreshadowing Doomsday throughout the screenplay, that comes from knowing that Doomsday was a character from CPN. And I needed to make sure that character is there. And once you have that focus and understand that that's where your story is going, it starts to flow, you know? You know? And that's the that's the way I write. I've always written like it's like every obstacle I get is like one it's a puzzle. Once I figure it out, you get you just you see the big picture with each each uh, each each time you figure something out, you see you have a better grasp of the story, you know? 
Right. Were there any scenes that you just kind of like struggled? Man, I, this just isn't working how I wanted it. Were there any scenes in the script that you just had to keep going back to, or did everything just kind of like flow perfectly? Because the way that it's the way that I read it, it just it's everything, so, yeah, everything just like like just everything just worked. When I read it, you can just you you can see it like a comic book almost. It's that yeah. good. Like I had a difficulty initially with Wonder Woman. Because I'm one of them is such an important character in the DC mythology that I I just felt that I wasn't doing her justice, and I tried a lot of different ways in my head for her story, and I felt I needed to connect her to Les Corp and Doomsday, and that's when it clicked. It's like it's like Lex Luthor has been tracking that has been trying to figure out like superhumans, and he knows the Amazons exist and. If he knew Zenon exists, he would try to use them against Superman, so that's how I utterance the story. But it was initially very difficult to figure out a, 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 a way to put Wonder Woman in there, you know, and not, because she's just an important character, not take away from the Batman vs. Superman story, which is, that was what I was trying to tell. I wasn't trying to tell multiple stories at the same time, but because Wonder Woman's in it, I needed to put her in there. Right. Um... Do you, Kyle, do you have anything to ask? Uh, I'll let you know when I think of something. I'm still, I'm still like absorbing all this right. information. It's, it's like I said, the script's great. We're trying to. F- any time, do you have anything? Um, of course, I can come up with something on the fly. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, so like when you're writing everything down and stuff like obviously this is something that you've thought about for quite some time right like you're not yeah. this wasn't like a, you woke up one morning and was like I'm gonna do this and it's gonna take me a week like you've actually thought yeah. about this and you're a, you're a loyal fan yeah well what you're saying like you know, it's like a lot of people like if you're reading comic books for the better part of two decades uh-huh you kind of you do absorb what it's what these characters are naturally. And I think, yeah. and a lot of a lot of times, and this is not a, this is not an insult to Hollywood. A lot of times, they're writing superhero movies. They've made a mistake of of getting people who don't really uh, don't really uh, understand or haven't been longtime fans of the character. You know what I mean? So they they struggle to find a, an understanding of the character. They struggle to find like where does the character coming from, they're always trying to figure out the motivations for people like, say, you, me, or any comic book fan, we know it off by heart. You know, we know who Batman is, we know who Superman is, we know who Wonder Woman is. So if for us, for a person like me, it, just, it was easier to put my interpretation of Batman onto, onto paper, because that's been my interpretation of Batman for years. That's, that's been, I've, I've, I've known that character so long that it's easier for me to do that. Whereas a lot of like a lot of writers are kind of like they're trying to figure out a way to capture the character, and that's you know that can either help or hinder you know what I mean the project you know. So you see like so you're pretty much saying like someone like Mark Snyder who like helps out with the comic book world and all that stuff like who knows he knows the character more in depth he's more intimate with the character than somebody that's like oh yeah I just I like the genre I could direct that like you you just you well, say Mark Snyder or you... I said yeah I said Mark Snyder that was my bad. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. Like, if, if you have a love for uh, comic book characters, if you have a love for the character itself, then you're gonna try your very best to 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 translate that love on screen. 
you know, and you're not going to try to make it about you. You're going to try to make your vision of the character viable and, and, and honest and stuff like that. And But at the same time, you're not going to try to, you know, this, you're not going to look at it as a, as, like a lot of times people when they're making films, like I've seen it, they look at the characters as kind of silly. They don't look at them like, that's what happened with the Batman Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, they looked right. at the characters as kind of a silly characters, and that translated to screen. Like they didn't take them seriously at all. Like they can, they can, they are in. If you break it down, they're kind of silly. But at the same time, what they mean is, you know, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. I think we're gonna start wrapping it up. Do we have any last questions? Is there uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're working on that you haven't spoke about? Uh, or? I I I well, Batman Red Knight. You've given me a reason to to finish it and get it out there for Do people. It. You know what I mean? And uh, at this, uh, I'm gonna my blog. I'm gonna start adding more content to my blog. I've got more uh, uh, more uh, my views on the DC universe, DC movie universe, and like. How do we find your blog? It's on my. It's on my. Uh, it's pinned. It's a pinned tweet on my Twitter. So we'll find you at Son of Arrogance, right? Yeah, yeah. At Son of Arrogance. It's pinned tweet on my Twitter. You would click on it, and then it's sent to my blog. I've already got a couple of things up there, and I'm, my Wonder Woman treatment's going to be up there. What how I would do a Wonder Woman movie, and then after that, I'm going to put how I would do a Green Lantern movie. So. And that blog is, uh, blog of arrogance, blog of arrogance dot blogspot dot com. Yeah, yeah um, like and so it's it's. Just gonna be very honest, uh, very honest. Like uh, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna be pretentious or something like that. It's gonna be honestly what I think of the DC universe and how I would do it. So awesome, awesome. When when you do get that uh, Batman Red Knight screenplay done, we definitely love to have you on after it hits because it's gonna drop like a, it's gonna drop like a nuclear. It's gonna it's gonna make some waves. I think again if it's just if it's as good. Um, as this Batman versus Superman, and you actually are putting the time and the effort in to put in a second yeah. draft. So obviously oh, it's going to be amazing. It, so when it, that, it, it's it's like it's it's what I would say is like it's it's the most honest interpretation of Batman that I can write. You know, it's like it like it's it's Batman is how I see and how Batman would be if he existed. Not in a real world setting with the Chris Nolan movies, but like if he ex- if his world was a real world and you and you were living in it, this is how Batman would be. You know, it's like he's it, he's part of a family of a people. So and that's why I approached it, and I think it works. I, I really do. Not to toot my own horn, but I think it's it's one of the better screenplays I wrote. Well, we can't wait for it, man. And we uh, we can't wait to have a new message in our inbox with that in there. You know. All right, well, that's it. I the signed copy is going to be to you. I had to work on a little bit, but when you get them, you'll see what I worked on, and then I think you'll like it. You know, awesome, Can't awesome. Wait. Wait, so with, with, very special watermark for each copy. Awesome, oh, wow. that's that's awesome. But seriously, when you, if you if you have the time, when you get Red Knight finished, completed, and you want to come back on, you're always welcome back on. You've been such, you know, right. been great, honest. You know, very candid, and we love that. You you know, you dropped a lot of Batman education on us when it came to the that amazing screenplay, like the characterizations, where where your head was when you're writing it, everything. We we truly appreciate it, and you know, we thank you for coming on. You know, coming on the show just to just to talk about it. It's all the all the honor and pleasures on our, our side. We re, we really really appreciate it. We can't yeah. say that enough. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate being on, and I think you guys uh, listen to your podcast. This is how you guys are. You guys are going to go far because, like, it's a very honest podcast. There's no bullshit about it. You're not asking 
you're not asking like pretentious questions, you're just being you're just honest guys, and that's what I like. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna let you wrap it up. So uh, if you want to sign us off, go for it, man. Uh, uh, well, thanks guys for having me on, and uh, I'll be keeping listening to your podcast, and better believe I'm gonna have every one of my friends listen to your podcast too. So all right, well, thanks a lot, man. Have a great night. You too, man. All right, okay, thank you. Thank you. I am the knight. I am the knight.